All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And today, you know, we're going to be talking about something I think is so important. Um, I was talking to my boys. Uh, I can't remember how this came up. Uh, as one of my sons said it, we're sitting at the dinner table because my wife and I, we've been married 31 years and we have most definitely had some awesome highs and some horrible lows and some points of incredible tension, but we're still together. And I got some of my friends that uh, one of my good friends is newly remarried uh, within just the last couple of years. But what he's brought into that marriage has just breathed life, honestly, back into his kids. It's actually been one of the most healing things ever. So, you know, we're all, everybody out there listening, when we're thinking about marriage, it's all across the spectrum. Question is, why is it important to put work and energy and focus and to have what my friend Larry here calls a ridiculously fulfilling marriage? A, can we even have it? How do we get it? And why is it important? So Larry Hagner, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate you having me on. This is a this is an important topic, fun topic. I enjoy talking about this topic very, very much. Well, you know, I do too. So uh, Larry, you founded the Dad Edge Alliance. And this came out of, you have four kids, been married 18 years, and you came out, you were working in the medical device industry. And then you came out and you're hosting that there's uh, guys, a great podcast, the dad edge podcast. Um, you also created the dad edge mastermind community. So folks, we're going to be talking about some things I think are really important. If you're a man out there listening, this is going to equip you. If you're single, guess what? Someday you're going to be married and you might remember something from this conversation that's just going to make your, your life absolutely rock. And if you're a woman, keep listening because I guarantee you, you know, somebody you're going to want to forward this to. <laughs> okay. So with that said, there was a point, I'm guessing, right, to move from what you were doing in the medical device world to make this a focus, the Dad Edge Alliance. What's prompted that, the genesis of what you're doing now? You know, I think a lot of it probably started just with my childhood. You know, if I look back on everything that's transpired over the years, I grew up, you know, I always say half my childhood was spent without a father figure and the other half was spent with a toxic element of a father figure in my life. And just to kind of give you some context, uh, my mom and biological father were married for, I think, four or five years. Mm -hmm. I was born in 75. And then when I was about nine months old, my dad and my mom split up, they got divorced and then he left. And I, I have no recollection of him. I think he tried to stick around a little bit as far as visitation and kind of taking me here and there, but I, I don't remember it. And all I do know is by the time I was four, I started really realizing I didn't have a dad. Not that I really cared, to be honest with you, because my perception was sort of an interesting one. I remember being in preschool and I remember men coming to pick up their kids like my friends. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's a dad. I know that's a dad. And um, the other thing that I thought was fascinating as well is that I knew I didn't have one, but I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything because my thing was, is I just figured uh, men go, or women go out and they find dads. So my mom just hadn't found ours yet. And that was no big deal. This is kind of like in your world, in your head, this is just kind of normal. Yeah, it was totally normal. I didn't really think anything of it. You know, like I said, I just was sort of waiting in the wing. I'm like, oh, cool. She'll find somebody sooner or later. And I'll never forget when I was four, a man came over for dinner for the first time. So it was like the first time I ever 
was around a man, broke bread with a man. I'll never forget when this guy came walking in. I think my mom was dating him for a while. They worked together. He came walking in the door and I was four at the time and he was wearing a trench coat. He was wearing a three-piece suit with a double Windsor, you know, knot. And he had, his hair was feathered. He had a mustache. He was a white, white collar uh, software engineer for a company. He had a job where he traveled a ton and then he came up for dinner. And the very first question I asked this guy was, are you going to be my dad? Like literally I shook his hand and that was the first question that came out of my mouth. And I'll never, I'll never, what was your mom's reaction? Yeah, I'll, never, poor mom. I'll never forget that. You know, <laughs> like still, I, I remember like it was yesterday. I just remember like very awkward laughter happening and they're just like looking at each other like, oh my gosh, like, wow. And I, I wonder if my mom kind of took that as a sign, you know, she, they ended up getting married. They, I think they dated for a little less than a year, but they ended up getting married. And I was so happy. I was in the wedding and, you know, I was the ring bearer and it was cool. And, but, you know, as soon as they got married, I was like, man, this is awesome. Like our family's complete and this is really cool. And he was a good father when he was sober. And when he was around, he was ex-military. So he was very strict. He was big on manners, which, you know, I didn't appreciate at the time, but I do now. Uh, everything was yes, sir. No, sir. Please. Thank you. Excuse me. If I didn't do that, you know, he definitely let me know. And, uh, yeah. And I remember, I remember a lot of happiness being in my house for the first couple of years they were married. They were married for six years. My mom got to quit her job. She got to stay home with me. I was no longer in daycare. It was pretty cool. And he was gone Monday through Friday, every week traveling. And then he was home on the weekends. The thing that I noticed, though, is there was the longer they were together, the more tension built up in their relationship. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I could feel it. They drank a ton. Uh, my mom drank a ton. He drank a ton. And they got very violent with each other when they would fight. There was a lot of screaming, yelling, hitting and, and violent with it. He got pretty violent with me, too. And, you know, the longer they were married, the more they just deteriorated. And I'll never forget, he lost his high paying job, I think, when I was eight or nine and just fell into this insane depression to where I think for a good year, if I remember correctly, he just lived in our basement and he slept really? on, yeah, slept on patio furniture cushions on the floor of our basement. And he would just be down there all day and all night. And he would come up to get a glass of water or something to eat and then go right back down. And I was just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was just really weird. And um, so they got divorced. And when I was 10, he left and I haven't seen him since. And when I was 12, something very fascinating happened. I, and I won't go into the detail because there's too much detail, but I ran into my biological father who I had never had any recollection with, didn't meet, didn't know. And I was just so excited. Uh, we connected. We decided. And how old were you, Larry? 12. 12, okay. 12, yeah. We reconnected. We went out, I'll never forget. We went out to lunch. He was remarried at the time, had a two-year-old son, another one on the way. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Like I have my real dad in my life. And we hung out for like six months. You know, we, we spent a lot of time together. I spent time with his wife and his two-year-old son. They, had, they were pregnant with another one on the way. And I could just tell the further along that relationship went, the more there was something like really taxing my father, like stressing him. I could feel it when we were around each other. And then one day he just had a conversation with me and he basically said, it's not you, it's me. Um, this is not a good time for me. I'm getting ready to have my second son. And, you know, we just... We need to part ways. And I'm like, wow. Ouch. Yeah. Talk about that would be damaging. It I was, can't it even was. imagine what that might have pushed into your brain about who you were, your worth, your, you know. 
I couldn't really figure it out. You know, all, all I know is the way I cope. Yeah, consciously, you probably weren't thinking any of that. I'm just wondering what, how that kind of laid itself in there. Uh, what I really did was, is I emotionally ate and I got really overweight. I gave mm-hmm. up on school and I failed eighth grade. I think that's, that's just the world I was in. I was just like, why bother? And I couldn't even really figure out or even articulate why I felt that way. I just did. So I failed eighth grade. I had to do it twice. But that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I got into a really great school where I fit in with the kids well, got into a really good high school. I got into a college prep all boys high school. I went on to college, graduated, got my first job. You know, career was going awesome. Had a great start in pharmaceutical sales and medical And then when I was 30, this is where the whole thing kind of ends and begins. When I was 30, two big things happened in my life. Uh, Number one, became a father for the first time. I have a son who's turning 15 in March and I ran into my father again and I had not seen him in 18 years. I was at a Starbucks with some coworkers for a meeting and he came walking in to get his morning coffee. And I was- Did you recognize him immediately? I knew exactly who he was right away. Yeah, he hadn't changed much, just a little older. We ended up connecting and you know, here we are 15 years, almost 16 years later, and we do have a relationship and we have a friendship. I, he's still married to the same woman. I have two younger half brothers, one that I'm actually, you know, I, I see often my youngest. We're actually going out to dinner, him, his girlfriend and my wife on Friday. And, you know, that was, uh, we now have a relationship. But what I can tell you about that edge is that, you know, my mom dated and married three times and dated several men in between. And all of them were basically the same type of guy, you know, just mm-hmm. reckless alcoholism, toxicity, abuse, drugs, like the whole nine yards. And my mom got into a really bad place herself. And what I can tell you is when I got married and had kids, I was like, man, I just, I want to do this right. I want to do this really, really well. I don't know what exactly what that looks like, but what I, what I can tell you is I was failing at it just absolutely miserably. And the night I started Good Dad Project, I only had two boys. They were six and four. I always say I, I feel like I kind of wasted the first six years of their life being impatient, being unequipped, uh, just quick to anger. Uh, your typical guy that just struggled, got all my validation from work, and my career was going great. And if you looked at my life on paper, it looked like it was really going well, married to a beautiful wife, good job, two boys but I was struggling with, well, I, I can't relate to any of that, Larry, but you know, I know you can, <laughs> you know, well, it's amazing what we bring in to, you know, every situation consciously and, you know, subconsciously. Right. And there's so many things that happen, especially, you know, as I'm coaching and working with people, whether they're life coaching with a father or an executive of a company, one of the places that we, you have to start, you know, it's all about, I think, just each one of us working on becoming a little bit better version of ourselves. And I know that through my life, all this stuff that's happened to me has formed my identity, my own experiences, right? Uh, people that hired me or didn't want to hire me, friends that shunned me at some point, things that have been said to me, all this stuff goes in. And what I realized is I had let a lot of stuff in that was not true, but I didn't know how to process it any differently. And I love what you're, there's two things that you've said so far that I really want to highlight. A, if you guys heard what Larry said about when his dad just said, hey, buddy, just don't have time for you. See ya. And then he failed eighth grade. I think we underestimate or maybe aren't aware of the power 
that we have over a child with just our words and our actions. I mean, these create lifelong, I mean, basically that forms our identity. So I could tell myself, I might never say it consciously, but like, hey, I'm not worthy of being loved. I'm not good at anything. I can't please others or I become a people pleaser because I never did. But, and I love how you moved into this project, right? Uh, to just get us aware. And here's the great thing, because I can tell you guys some of my stories. Some of you know it. I had some horrible relationships with my boys because of anger issues, self-image issues, because of my workaholism, which was a cover of something. And every single part of that has been restored. So I wanted to, so Larry and I are here to give you hope. So you're in your parenting. You said the boys were now what? Uh, how old were they? Four when you started the good dad, the dad edge? Uh, they were four and six when I, I guess, finally flipped a switch. And I can share with you what that even looked like or what that story. No, I'd love to. So it's not, yeah. they're four and six. And all of a sudden you are realizing I don't have the relationship with them. I'm not the dad I want to be. Is that, I'd love to hear you walk through what created the transformation for you. Yeah. You know, I, I felt like I was carrying a lot of baggage around for me, you know, as a kid. And, you know, I, I think in my early thirties, I kind of had more of that victim mindset of like, there's no way I'm going to be successful at this because of where I've come from. I had no blueprint. I had no successful, you know, example growing up. Like you mean successful as a dad, Larry? Yeah. Successful yeah, as a okay. dad you know, and as a husband, and I can tell you, I was failing at it miserably. And it was because of that self, a lot of that self-talk, but here's the thing. I had a deep motivation and I wanted so badly to have a handle on it. I just didn't know what it looked like. And I was the typical guy that I communicated on a, on a surface level with my wife. I kept maybe the relationship, I wouldn't say at arm's length, but it definitely, I didn't want to allow her in close enough because I felt, you know, that was a threat, could be a threat. I was your typical dad that did not know what the heck I was doing uh, as far as like, I had no patience. I was quick to anger. I was quick to yell. And I was frustrated. It wasn't the kids that frustrated me. I was frustrated with myself. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that was really going very, very well in my life was my career. And that's because I invested in time, training, skill sets. I was being promoted year after year, doing really, really well. And one night, and this is how Good Dad Project slash Dad Edge started. My four-year-old, who's 13 now, uh, stepped out of line one night. I spanked him and he hit the ground. And I always said to myself, I'm not going to hit my kids. And not that I have anything against spanking. That's up to the parents, as far as I'm concerned. But I didn't want to do it. And I spanked my son. He hit the ground. I hit him so hard. And I went to pick him up and he shuddered. He had this fear, look of fear in his eyes. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, I'm literally doing the exact opposite of what I want to do and mm -hmm. doing the same. So in that moment, I actually saw myself like as a kid I didn't see him. And in that moment, I went into my office and I did what every adult does, <laughs> go in and distract themselves on social media. And I was very emotional. And I remember, and I know that this is a, a faith centered podcast. And I, I always say that I feel like it was divine intervention that I saw this button on the left-hand side of the page and it said, create a page. And I don't know what it was. I hit that button and the words, the good dad project just rolled off my heart onto that keyboard and onto that screen. And what that really was is I, I, in that moment, I was like, I'm terrible at this. I'm not good at this. 
But then again, how much time and energy have I invested into learning? Like if you look at my career, I go to conferences, I buy workshops and modules, I invest in in-person training. I'm always asking for help, but yet I have a mentor, right? You always reached out to mentors and coaches to help you professionally. Right. And uh, I can tell you that I did not have that in my life. And that you mean as a father and a husband, right? And that showed Mm -hmm. up in a big way. And I just said to myself, what if I just committed to learning how to do this, how to be a better married man, how to be a better father, more patience, better communication, better connection. What if I just learned that? And good dad project was me. I was the project. And I was like, I'm just going to create this page and hold myself publicly accountable and whatever I'm learning, I'm just going to share it here. And that's going to be like my to do. Right. So when you did that, tell me what, uh, you know, as you first started diving in and you have people kind of join this community, what are some of those areas that you've found that really helps people maybe get that awareness where they get to see some progress, both in their marriage and their relationship with their kids? Does that make sense? So what kind of progress? No, like what have you found like yourself, right? When you were digging into this, what are some of those things that you learned that you share with people that are coming to you? They're new. They're like, yeah, my marriage is not where it needs to be. My kids don't even like me. Right. Or my kids like me, but I'm never around. So we're not close. Like they don't come in from school and they can't wait to say, Hey dad, and come give me a hug. They're like, it was a right. And they go, they go to their room and like, man, I want to change that. where Where do we start? if that is describing somebody listening? That's a great question. So I'm going to give a couple different scenarios here, but let me just set the stage, Yeah, what this looks like and how overwhelming it can look like to us, right? So like, for instance, I think when we're dealing with a man like that, you probably feel like I did, or you feel like the guys that we first begin to work with, like think of it like football. I don't know any man who doesn't like football. I love football myself. Think of yourself as you just caught the punt and you're in the end zone of the opposite team and you got to get all the way down to the other end of the field. And it's overwhelming because you see your guys blocking, you see the other team just bum rushing after you. And you're like, I got to get all the way down there. And I'm just not exactly sure how to do it. Do I go right? Do I go left? Do I spin? Do I hurdle? What do I do? But if you really think about it, one of the most, the most successful punt return athletes just try to get it to the 20. You're right. Just try to get it to the 30. And that is actually a success. You don't have to run it down for a touchdown, but in the mind and the heart of most men, we are all or nothing. We are full throttle or no throttle. We are very extreme. Like I got to do this perfectly or not at all. And that's not true. And what I always tell men is like, listen, we're going to get you all the way down. We're going to help you get all the way down to the other end zone. Right. Which is you're going to create a legendary marriage you're going to have an epic connection with your wife. You're going to have better communication. You're going to have all these things. And in your kids, you're going to create connection memories. You're going to be more patient and you're going to create an environment of psychological safety. Now I just, I just encompassed a whole lot of skills into one, but like, so for instance, that's when you get all the way down to the other end. Now, the point is, is when you say that to a man, they're like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm completely overwhelmed and they do nothing. So we're like, okay, let's get you to the five yard line. Let's catch the ball and get you to the five yard line. So what does that look like in your marriage? I think just the awareness of what does it take to create an extraordinary marriage? It's four elements that's on the foundation of one element. So bear with me. So when I teach a man this, I'm like, this is how you get to the five yard line. Just knowing this information, because most people don't. To create a legendary marriage, 
you first have to understand self-care is step number one. You have to take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally. Otherwise, you can't selflessly serve your wife in the most profound way possible. The second step is partnership. Partnership is the not so sexy side of marriage. It's the finances, it's the bills, it's the chores, it's the roles, you do this, I do that. And unfortunately that's where 50% of the fighting happens because that's where a lot of the expectation lies. And that's where what I like to call emotional resentment is born in that element because it's like, oh, I can't believe I'm cooking dinner again. She should do it. Or I can't believe I'm doing dishes again. He should do it. You know, I can't believe I'm folding the laundry again. He should do that. Or, you know, who's doing the bills and who's doing this? Creating those very defined roles of like, hey, what strengths do you have? And what parts of our relationship in the partnership loop bring you joy? And what do I bring to the table and what can I do? And identifying those, so that's partnership. Then there's friendship, which that's just a deep knowing of your spouse. You know, what do you have in common? Uh, what do you like doing together? You know, it's that friendship. At the end of the day, are we buddies, right? Are you my best friend? The final one is lovers. And we don't have to explain that to any man. Um, that's obviously intimacy, that's connection, that's physical relationship, the whole nine yards. And underneath all of that foundation, I know that this is a faith-centered show, but my wife and I, uh, it's, it's, and what we teach is communication. In our relationship, it's communication and faith, right? But communication is key. And within communication, you have, you have skill sets like tactical empathy, emotional validation, Mirrors, labels, creating an environment of psychological safety where that person can be 100% their authentic self, very, very truthful and honest with things that they're facing, things that, you know, things that are in their mind and heart, and they can share that with you without shame, guilt, or anger, right? So that's creating a legendary marriage. So once a man understands like, okay, so that's what it looks like. Think of it like Legos, right? Marriage can feel like you buying a box of Legos without the directions, Hey, make this Seattle Seahawks helmet with 1,307 pieces. I reference that because my son and I are working on that. But we're not going to give you any direction. You're just going to have to figure it out. And that is disabling to us. We would rather be like, I'm just not going to do it. Or you get so frustrated while you're trying to figure it out that you don't enjoy it. And it becomes more of a toxic situation that you dread, kind of like your marriage. Um, so I'll pause for a second if you want to know anything more about the marriage aspect before I get to the parenting aspect. What you said, I think is so important for people to take away is you might have a very acute awareness right now that you don't have a good marriage. It's not legendary. It's not extraordinary. You might know some people that you admire and look up to and say, that's the kind of marriage I want, but you know what you've brought into the marriage, you know where you're at and you have no idea how to even get it better and what I've also seen too, when I first started making these strides myself, is I would try to make things better, but it really wasn't a safe space yet from her perspective. So guess what? Some There's stuff I do where she would just react. And I'd be like, you know, what's the point? I'm in this, but she's not. So you're talking about you almost have this loop, right? You create the resentment, but also... I think also some of it is not knowing what to do next. Hey, if you said, okay, honestly, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being absolutely extraordinary, one being, hey, we're about to file papers. Let's say I put myself at a five and who wants to live, you know, an average life? Well, we focus on that 10 and sometimes that's too big of a gap like you talked about, like I have to get to the other end zone. And what I love to do, Larry, is say, hey, what would a plus one look like? 
what would it look like where we're actually enjoying an evening of just sitting on the couch and talking without a TV show on? How would we even get there? What are things I could do for my wife and I? You know, we just started doing Bible studies together. I started making it a habit of going to her and listening. Cause I gotta tell you, I'm more of a, when I'm not on the, you know, podcast and doing stuff like this, like, and I'm busy, right. And somebody wants to just sit down and talk about stuff. Like for me, I had to intentionally make a decision that I'm going to be present. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to listen so I can ask questions versus listen to tell them either my opinion or give my advice. And have you ever seen that video? It's not about the nail. I love that video. <laughs> I love that video because it's so funny and it's so true. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hysterical. I love it. But I, you know, I, I think, you know, for you guys out there, you go like, yeah, I don't, I'm definitely not a 10. Um, if you're sitting there listening, you're like, you know what, I'm, Here's the great thing is Larry, myself, and I'm still on the journey, but I think focusing on little things that you can do, how do you slowly, you know, take better care of yourself? Really, your, you know, the, I think your inner game determines your outer game, right? I got to think about, hey, how am I thinking? A great book that I recommend to people all the time is Leadership and Self-Deception. I don't know if you've ever read that book. It is completely about this whole what you talked about, this emotional resentment. So here's an example. You're laying in bed and you hear the baby cry and you're working at your, your wife's stay at home mom. And you got to get up at six 30 in the morning and go to work. So your first thought is she's exhausted. She's tired. I should get up and go take care of the baby, give my bottle, change their diaper. But then you start thinking about yourself. Well, I'm the one providing, I got to get up at six 30 in the morning. So you lay there and wait until she starts stirring. Now you know she's heard the baby. So guess what I have to do now to justify my decision not to help? I might start thinking, well, it's her responsibility. She's not a good mom. She should be getting out of bed. Maybe I should nudge her a little bit. And all of a sudden you justify a bad decision in your brain. And that's what he calls being self-deceived. So it's an entire... It's actually a book that um, we read as a team every year. We're always reading books, our entire team. But that's one that we reread because I think that our ability to deceive ourselves with um, what's going on in our head and how that can damage or absolutely heal um, marriages, relationship with your kids, people in business is absolutely extraordinary. So, you know, just starting with little small things where we can, hey, we can get a little bit gooder. It's all right. We can just get a little bit gooder. Then I say, you know what, I'm at a five and I would say I'm a five and a half, you know, two months later. But hey, you know what, I just went in the right direction. So I think those focusing on small steps and having people to help us like what you're doing is so important. I agree. And I think um, when it comes to connection, you know, you mentioned something in there about you know, turning off the TV and what's the smallest thing that we can possibly do, you know, to create that connection. It's really to get, I'm going to use some surface level words, right. That we all hear all the time, but I'm going to give you some action steps behind it to actually do it. Right. So everyone's like, just be more intentional, just be more purposeful, be more engaged. Right. 
And those words sound really powerful and they sound really, really good. Right. But at the same time, there's no context to like a tactic that's, that is tied to that. So like, for instance, if someone tells you be more purposeful, be more intentional, be more engaged, that's a lot like going to your doctor and you just have blood work done. And he looks at you and he's like, all right, John, got your blood work in, uh, go get healthier. And you're like, go get healthier. What, what does that mean? And well, just go get healthier. Well, does that mean I have high cholesterol? Does that mean I have diabetes? Do I have cancer? Do, am I overweight? Am I eating too much salt? Are my kidneys working okay? Is my liver function okay? Like what's going on? Just, no, just, just be more healthy. So, you know, when we say those words, intentional, present, engaged, all those things, that doesn't give us an actual to-do, right? So if you go to the doctor and you have high cholesterol, your doctor is like, okay, here's your tactics. Don't eat any more, you know, reduce the amount of saturated fat that you eat. Uh, here's a prescription for Crestor. Uh, what I want you to do is go to the gym three to five times a week. I want you to exercise no less than 45 minutes per day. Uh, and then we're going to check back in three months, see how things are. And those are clear cut action items, right? So if you want to have better connection with your wife, I mean, John, you nailed it. One of the simplest things you can do is turn off the TV and talk to her. Now, here's the other thing too. If you tell a man, turn off the TV and go talk to your wife, be intentional, that still isn't clear enough because you turn off the TV and you're like, holy crap, like now what, what do I do? So, you know, the, the quality of our life and the quality of our relationships is dependent on the quality of the questions that we ask ourselves and those around us. Mm -hmm. So we, I just created a resource a few months back called 21 days to an extraordinary marriage. It's totally free. It's an email resource. I give 15 emails over a 21 day period. And what it is in, in that sequence, in that resource is there's three skill sets that I teach. One is creating emotional and physical connection through conversation. And some guys are like, well, what does the conversation even look like? How was your day? How'd you sleep? What's for dinner? What are the kids doing? No. In fact, it's the polar opposite of that. In one of those emails, I actually give you a list of 25 different questions. They're called generative connecting questions that you ask your wife. And I guarantee you've either never asked her or it's probably been double digit years since you have. So like, for instance, one of the questions could be this, you know, if you and I were sitting on our porch 20 years from today, and we were celebrating the beautiful life that we had created with our kids and the memories and the things that we have done, what things would we be celebrating and talking about that haven't happened yet? And when you ask a question like that to your wife and she looks at you and you spark a connection with her, not only through her, like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. Like, what could our life look like? And she's imagining this together. That connection starts to become solidified. That's like your doctor saying, I want you to go on a diet. I'm going to give you these pills and I want you to hit the gym. And when you do that, these connections light on fire. You talk, you converse, and that's where one question can easily turn into a 10 to 30 minute conversation about the excitement of what could be and how might we do these things versus how was your day? How'd you sleep? What do you got going on tomorrow? Yeah, you're talking about meaningful conversations. And I got to tell you, there's been times where I've, I've approached this to do it. And this is, could just be me. So like she says, yeah, in 20 years, I wish this and this and this were in place. Like the kids were best friends. They were really grounded in their faith. And there's a lot more we could be doing right now. Now, I, 
in that moment, there's been times, Larry, just being honest, I took that as criticism that she felt I actually wasn't doing enough in the present. And I would react to that. And then I would turn it into a debate that, hey, we're, I'm doing, and that's not what she meant. And I know because of stuff I had to work on that I approached some of those conversations from the, with the wrong mindset. And as I learned and realized this isn't moving us toward a better marriage, I had to start showing up differently. I had to make some different choices in the moment. And I, I think it's really important also to, to have this balance of kind of, you know, some self-awareness and, you know, start with the end in mind, like sit down and go, you know what? I want to have an amazing marriage. Yeah. I want us to be, you know, we're 30, we've been, my wife and I've been married 31 years. Today we walk down the street holding hands. We sit here and laugh and talk. It's like, it's better than I ever thought it could be. But there was times I didn't think it would last, if I'm just being real. Oh, yeah, I think we all go through those, right? And, and it's really important to make sure that when we, we minimize those times, right? And then we optimize the times for connection. Uh, you know, there's so many different questions you can ask. Like I said, I lay them out, several of them in an email for you. I mean, you can actually Google best questions for married couples and you have a plethora, a buffet of different questions you can ask each other. It's amazing. How would you set that? Let's say somebody says, oh boy, I've never done that ever with my wife. Like we've never sat down. I never turned the TV off and just turned some music on and, and said, hey, hon, let's talk. Can I ask you a question? Like, how would you start that? If that, for some people that feels like really a complete out of the box, new, new approach that I've never done with my wife. Yeah, you know, and I think you need to address the elephant in the room, right? Because um, Gary John Bishop, he's a New York Times bestselling author. He's written several books. And one thing that he always talks about in his books is when you make a change um, or when someone else makes a change, it can be threatening and it can be odd because what's happening is, is your perception of that person is being messed with. So like, for instance, if your grandmother, who's 97 years old, you know, and can barely walk, comes to you and says, you know what? I've decided tomorrow I'm going to start training for a marathon and the marathons in six months, I've got plenty of time. I'm just going to go do that. And you'd be like, wait, what, 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 what are you doing? Like, have you lost your mind? Like, who are you? Right. And while you're happy that grandma's decided to take control of her health, you're also like, this is really odd for me to even fathom. Right. Well, your wife, when you start doing stuff like this, your wife is going to look at you like you have two heads at first. And I always prepare men for that. Like, look, you're not going to get necessarily a warm reception when you start doing this, especially if you do it cold, like, and she's not expecting it because she's going to be the whole time. She's not going to be into it. She's going to be preoccupied with why are you asking me this? And who are you? Right. She might be pleased to some degree, but she also might be like, why, who are you? And why are you asking me this? And a lot of men, I think right in that moment, they get very, very discouraged if they aren't prepared for that. But like, see, told you it wouldn't work. Right. She blew me off. She thought it was stupid. So I think you need to address the elephant in the room. So anytime I'm about ready to lay something on my wife, even though we've got a great relationship, I've known her for 18 years. What I do is I say, I've got a question for you. And you're probably going to look at me like I have two heads and you probably might think that I've lost my mind, or maybe it's actually just totally and completely ridiculous. But I was wondering if you would have any objections in humoring me for a minute, because I really am curious about you. And she'll be like, okay, what is it? And I'll ask her a question <laughs> like that. 
And what I've just done is I've deactivated that negative elephant that might show up in the room. She's already preparing herself that I'm going to ask her something and have an interaction with her that we're not used to. And what you're probably doing when you say something like that is she's expecting something extreme, like to the point where, am I going to take offense to this? Do I need to brace myself for it? So when you ask her something like that, like 20 years from now, we're sitting on our porch celebrating the beautiful life that we created. And we're talking about the things that we've done and the memories that we've made, what things would need to happen that haven't happened yet. Now she's like, oh my gosh, right? I think there's an element of shock of like, this isn't a bad conversation. In fact, this is going to be a good one. And they're pleasantly pleased and they're more engaged in the process. Well, I remember after that accident I told you about nine years ago yeah. and I realized I get, I get a chance to reinvent and recreate everything. One of the things that I did as this exercise during my recovery is I said, okay, I, I wrote my obituary because I should have died a few years ago. And I said, okay, what is, what, how would I live a life so that this was said by my wife, Donna, at my death someday, because I know, right? And what would be said by my kids? Now, I actually haven't shared what I wrote with my wife or my kids, but I've shared it with some of my closest friends. And I said, I want you to hold me accountable to showing up every day that this is like one of the things on there that Donna feels like the most loved woman ever, that we have an amazing relationship with our kids. We All the stuff that I wanted her to say. And it was interesting in the beginning. And I said, Donna, this is what I want. Like I, I told her, I want to have an amazing marriage. Right? We're together forever, strong. And I said, hey, what are some things that I could work on? And she goes, no, you're good. Well, I knew that wasn't true. And after working on myself for a while, she finally, this was, oh my goodness, a year into it, Larry. She finally shared some things that would help. And I said, why, you know, I was frustrated for a while. What she told me, what I realized is she goes, I don't feel like it was safe for me to tell you what I thought you should work on because you'll take it as criticism and I don't want to deal with the blowback. I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize, you know, I might've put myself at a five. I didn't realize we were maybe at a three, okay? And so, you know, I also think that there's a lot of history that we've brought into the marriage. And so what you're talking about is really changing the, the direction of all this. The good news is we can do it, but talking about being intentional is you, you need to, I think, every day say, okay, what is one thing, even if it's a small thing I can do today? Like everybody out there listening, what's the last time for no reason at all you went and got your wife some flowers or you went and did all the laundry or you did the kitchen without expectation of you know, intimacy, friendship, a big hug? because everything might have a price. And I'm just saying that that's because where I was coming from. And it took a long time for me to actually, I guess, fill her love tank, speak her love languages in a way where she got enough in the tank where she started responding. Yeah, and you've got to make those deposits. You know, that's really important. And you said something in there too, that's really, really powerful. And I want to make sure the audience heard it. And that is doing it without expectation or agenda. Because there's a couple things there, right? When we do something with expectation and agenda, you know, Dr. Robert Glover wrote an incredible book called No More Mr. Nice Guy. And while that title is meant to get your attention, right? No More Mr. Nice Guy. It's really about being what he calls the integrated man. And one of the things that he talks about is these three covert contracts in that book. And one of them being, if I do nice things for you, I know I will get nice things in return. And a lot of men will do that, you know, and that it's not necessarily our fault. It's more or less our default. So like, for instance, 
it's safe to say that 82% of men, if you look at the five love languages, 82% of men say that their two primary love languages are words of affirmation and physical affection. And that's fine. That's just the way we receive love. That's the way I receive love. Now, if we do something like, I'm going to do the dishes, I'm going to mop the floor, I'm going to fold this laundry, and I hope I get something in return. In fact, I can count on it, right? I know she'll reciprocate. In fact, she'll be so happy, she'll be happy to do it. And I think what, what happens is, is we set ourselves up for a bit disaster doing that. And, you know, number one, I truly believe that our, the people in our life, not just our, our wives, but people in our lives can sniff that a mile away. You're doing something nice for me. And I know you need or want something in return. And sometimes our women feel obligated, like, okay, he did this for me. So I should probably do whatever he needs, right? And there's that resentment maybe on her part. And then if she doesn't follow through, then there's that resentment on the man's part. But you're right. Do You have to approach those types of situations with appreciation, curiosity, and giving without necessarily feeling you're going to get back. And that's a good thing, right? And the women, in my opinion, in our lives are actually more excited to reciprocate or feeling that reciprocity if it's not done with that intention. I'll give you an example. Um, and I know, again, this is a faith-based uh, show. And if, the, if this is not okay to talk about, please let me know. But I'm, I'm a big advocate in, you know, pornography will ruin your relationship, right? And men will put energy into that, right? It, I, I can't remember what the rates are. I think it's plus 70% of men between the age of 28 and 50 view porn five plus times a week, right? So here's a challenge to the listeners, right? You know, pornography, I think, you know, if you look at my life and I'll, I'll share this very openly, I wasn't big into drinking. I never really got into drugs, but I think as a kid, you know, like with all the stuff that I went on, like that was like how I regulated, you know, was pornography, right? And then that went into my 20s. And then, you know, I've, I've gotten through that. And now, so like, for instance, when I feel that physical urge, because most men do, what I do is that's a trigger for me to be like, how might I do something for my wife that she would appreciate that I can put that energy into that? And I'm not going to get anything in return. So like I, I share this story. It's kind of funny. Like we had a party, this was a few months ago, and it had been like a week or so since we had been physically together. And I was to that point where I'm like, oh my gosh, man, this is getting kind of difficult, right? And I was at home all by myself and nobody but myself and God would know, right, that what I was tempted to do. And I was like, you know what? My wife, we just had this birthday party yesterday. There's stuff everywhere. There's cake, there's crumbs on the floor. There's all those dishes all over the sink. I'm going to take all this energy and I'm just going to go to battle with this kitchen, right? And I did that. And I, I was like scrubbing countertops, you know, like taking, I blared the music, you know, I like took all this aggression out on, on the kitchen, right? My wife comes home and she's like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Like you have no idea how loved I feel by you right now. Like this is unreal. Like I came home expecting I would do two hours of work and you did it all. And I didn't do it out of expectation, but we had an incredible time after that. And what we had I can, a good outcome. We had a good outcome. And the cool <laughs> thing about that is I was like, man, I was like, that just goes to show that if you give without that reciprocity, and even if you could take something that's a vice for men and use that energy to pour into someone else, 
that's amazing, right? I mean, that's a good use of energy that otherwise would be spent elsewhere, right? Yeah, I love that perspective. Okay, so everybody, it's the Good Dad Project. That is the website. How else can people find and connect with you, Larry? So Good Dad Project is the easiest way. Um, you know, we have a Facebook group too as well, but I, I would say the easiest way to connect is just go to one of our podcasts. Just go to gooddadproject.com forward slash podcast or find it in the nav bar. You'll find every way to connect with us in just one episode. Uh, not only that, but if marriage is truly on your mind and heart, on our homepage, gooddadproject.com, you'll see right in the top banner, 21 days to an extraordinary marriage. Doesn't matter what your marriage looks like right now. Just opt into that. I don't want a thing from you. It's not a paid resource. It's not a course. What I do ask for in return though, is that you send me some emails back. Let me know how things are going. And what I got to tell you, John, is that there isn't a day that goes by. I don't get anywhere from five to 15 emails of just men sharing like, Hey, I did the challenge. I did this. And this is how she responded, man. It's just, it's cool. So that's all I ask for in return. Just let me know how it's going. Thank you for what you're doing. And I love it. And you know, what I've noticed is too, is, you know, we work on ourselves, we work on our marriage, we work on our relationship with our kids. And then you're sitting there with a coworker, you're sitting there with a friend over coffee and they're, and you see them roll their eyes about your wife and, and you look at them. So, you know, I used to feel the exact same way. You know, today I can't wait to wake up in the morning and, and just have fun today with my wife. Could I share with you some of the things that I did? And you know what, when we work on things ourselves, relationship with our kids and our wife, we can then help other people do that. And imagine because you started this, and I love what you said, right? To create a movement. And that is how a movement goes, because it's not only about really making things better in our own lives, but then, you know what? You don't have to be the guru. You don't have to be the guy speaking at the marriage conferences. But if you made a little bit of progress and you're just half a step ahead of your buddy, you can help your friend take that half step, and then you take another half step, and he might even learn something that he shares with you. You're like, oh, that made, I was struggling with that, man. That's and let's do this together. Now, imagine if everybody they're listening who's married just made a small effort in their own family. And as they did that, shared that win, that victory with one of their friends. I think it is a huge need in this country. I think of family, strong marriages, relationship with our kids, especially in this society. I've noticed as my kids are now adults, this is one of the most important parenting times ever. And if I didn't have a relationship with them as they moved into adulthood, I wouldn't have influence. And it's been really important. So, you know, with all that said, just what are, how would you just final thoughts you'd like to leave with everybody, Larry? Sure. You know, I think as far as men out there, men are, they're cautious about asking for help. You know, if you ask any man, any question that we normally ask each other uh, as men, it can be answered in three different words. Good, fine, Right. So uh, how's, work? Yeah, how's yeah. work? Good. How are the kids? Oh, we're busy. We're busy. Yeah. Like, uh, how are you and Jessica doing? Oh yeah, we're fine. We're, we're good. You know, so, you know, I think, uh, you know, don't ever be afraid to go first. Uh, I always, I, I think one of the coolest things about when we surround ourselves with like-minded individuals. So like, for instance, you're, you're, you're very faith oriented and you have a legendary marriage already. Right. So for someone like myself, I'm, I definitely don't think I have it all together. I've learned a thing or two, but me being a man who's behind you a little bit and how long I've been with my wife, I'd be like, one of the questions I would ask you is like, Hey, John, if you could, if you could give me any advice, like I'm 18 years in you're plus 30, like how might I make the best, best, the next best 10 years count. Right. And I would, I would welcome 
advice. So finding people who have strengths that you want and asking what you're really doing is number one, you're being very authentic and you're creating a relationship, but you're also complimenting that man, you know, because that's so meaningful. It's not a hindrance. It's not, you're not being uh, someone who's just nagging and asking like you're genuinely curious about how they're doing it. Well, uh, you know, so I think to summarize what you just said, I think, you know, as a man leading a family, uh, reach up to God. He wants an extraordinary marriage and family for you more than you you could ever want it for yourself. I also think you got to reach out to your brothers. You got to reach out, just like Larry said, you got to reach out to people and share and ask and be mentored and be willing, I think, to be vulnerable and say, hey, I watched something I shouldn't have watched. Yeah. I came home yesterday, I got frustrated and I snapped at Donna and I gave her a half-hearted apology, but I can tell it's still bothering her. Yeah, and I was letting that become a wedge. I mean, we, we need to have, I think, some people in our life this is not, I mean, this, you got to do it with some other folks. And if you don't have folks like that in your life, a mastermind group, like what, what Larry has at the good dad project, um, through your Bible study, through your church, through some guys at work say, Hey, let's all get together once a month and just all talk about how to have an amazing marriage. Who'd be in, I bet you'd be shocked at how many people would say, yeah, seriously, I I'll sign up for that. Sure. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So men Larry, thanks for, for what it. you do, man. Yeah. I, I'd love to have you come back on any time. I think this is important. You know, this is a, a lot of this is about leadership and building kingdom oriented companies. And I think that, uh, you know, our marriage is foundational to success everywhere else. Agreed. So thank you, brother. Thank you back. I really appreciate it.